0: Hey, guys, what I'm about to share with you is a true story, okay? And you know me. I have to say that statement because uh, I'm not making this up. This really happened, and it really has nothing to do with Al or Kenny, okay? It really happened, okay? I have to say that, okay? Check this out. There was this man who was working on his motorcycle, okay, on his patio, Okay, and his wife was in the kitchen, and the man, he was doing the guy thing, Bill. He was racing his engine on the motorcycle, right? Showing the man stuff, and and it accidentally slipped into gear when he's doing that. So the man, I kid you not, still holding the handlebars, was dragged through the uh, glass patio doors uh, onto the floor inside the house. Well, the wife, she hears the crash and she runs into the dining room and she finds her husband there laying on the floor. He's cut. He's bleeding. The motorcycle's laying next to him and, uh, and the, of course, the shattered patio door. And so what she do? She runs to the phone. She calls the ambulance and, and, and they come. But because they lived on a fairly large hill there, the wife had to go down several flights of stairs to meet the paramedics to escort him back to her husband. And after uh, they arrived and transported the man to the hospital, the wife, she goes back to the house, she places the motorcycle back upright, and she pushes it outside the house. Well, she saw that there's gas now spilled all over the, the floor there, so she got some paper towels, she blotted up all the gasoline, and she threw the towels in the toilet. Okay. Now, the husband, he was treated at the hospital, true story, and he was released to come home. And when he got home, he looked at the shattered patio door there and the damage done to his beloved motorcycle. He became very despondent. And so he went to the bathroom, sat down on the toilet, and smoked a cigarette. (laughs) Hey, smoking is dangerous to your health. Okay, but anyway. (laughs) After finishing the cigarette, I kid you not, he flipped it into the toilet bowl while he was still seated. And so the wife, who was in the kitchen, heard the loud explosion and her husband screaming. And so she ran into the bathroom and found her husband lying on the floor again. His trousers had been blown away, and he was suffering from burns on his hindquarters and his back legs there. So again, the wife runs to the phone and calls the ambulance, okay? Now, a. Turns out the exact same paramedic crew was dispatched and the wife again met them down the street. And so the paramedics loaded the husband on the stretcher and began to carry him back down the street. But while they were going down the stairs, okay, the paramedics asked the wife, how in the world did this happen? How did this guy get burned? So she told him, and I kid you not, the paramedics started laughing so hard, they slipped and tipped the stretcher, dumping the husband out and he broke his arm following down the stairs all in one day wow. Al, I'm sorry. I had to confess what you went over the... No, no. It's just a true story. It really is, okay, is what's going on there. But uh, I think it's pretty obvious. How many guys would say, man, that really happened, guys. That's a true story. How many guys would say, that's kind of a bad day? You know, just one thing into the next, you know what I'm saying? Okay. But that's right, folks. Believe it or not, I think I've actually discovered a day that's even worse than that one. And it too, unfortunately, is a true story. And it's going to happen something like this Not just to one guy, but the whole planet. Here's what it is. It's when you wake up one morning only to realize that all of a sudden your family has totally disappeared. And then so you run to turn on your TV set to see what in the world is going on, and you see a special worldwide news report, maybe from CNN, declaring that millions of people all over the planet, not just your family, are missing. And then suddenly, you you spy your loved one's Bible uh, sitting there on the coffee table, and all of a sudden, to your horror, it dawns on you that your family was right after all when they kept warning you about this thing called the Rapture of the Church. And then, to your horror, you realize that you have been left behind, and you have been catapulted into the seven-year tribulation that is coming upon the planet. And for those of you who do not realize, the seven-year tribulation is not a party. It is an outpouring of God's wrath on a wicked and rebellious planet. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, quote, it's going to be a time of greater horror this world has ever seen or will ever see again. And that, quote, unless the time of calamity was shortened, the entire human race would be destroyed. But praise God, God's not just a God of wrath, i.e. just. Okay, he's not going to let this evil go on forever. Praise God. But praise God, he's a God of love as well. And because he loves you and I, he's given us many warning signs in the scripture to wake us up so we'd have a heads up. So we'd know when the tribulation is near and Jesus Christ's second coming was rapidly approaching. Therefore, to keep you and I here at Sunrise from experiencing the ultimate bad day of being left behind, we're gonna begin a new study called The Final Countdown. The final countdown is what the scripture talks about. And what we're gonna do is take a look at ten signs. Now, I have to say this, it's a countdown. So that means we're gonna start at 10, and guess what? Countdown. We're not going 1, 2, 3, 4, we're going 10, 9, 8, 7 for those of you hooked on uh, chronology there. But we're gonna look at 10 signs the Bible gives us, God's given us, to lovingly wake us up before it's too late, to give our lives to Him before it's too late, and even if we're a Christian, to get busy serving Him before. It's too late. There's no time to waste, let's get started. The number 10 sign on the final countdown is hello, the Jewish people. The number 10 sign on the final countdown, God's final countdown, is the Jewish people. Now folks, if you're not familiar with Bible prophecy, you have to understand this. One of the first and foremost important prophetic events on God's end time calendar has to deal with the Jewish people. Let me translate that for you. In other words, if you want to know how close we are to the end, you have to keep your eyes on the Jewish people. Why? Because think about it, certainly biblically. From God's viewpoint, folks, listen, Jerusalem is literally the center of the earth, right? Now, think about this. This is where the line of the Messiah started, right? King David, Jerusalem, he ruled and reigned. God made the incredible Davidic promises to him that one from his lineage is going to rule and reign. This is where it all started. It started in Jerusalem. This is where Jesus, the actual Messiah, died on the cross. This is where the end times culminate with the battle of Armageddon outside of Jerusalem. This is where Jesus Christ is coming back at his second coming. And this is where Jesus is going to rule and reign for a thousand years after his second coming. It's all in Jerusalem. So it's a no brainer. If you want to know how close we are getting to the end times, you have to pay attention to Jerusalem. You have to pay attention to the Jewish people, right? Okay, so uh, what are these incredible uh, Prophecies that God predicted would happen to the Jewish people and them alone showing us that we are clearly living the last days? Byron, great question. It works well with my notes. Let's get started. The first in time prophecies concerning the Jewish people showing us we're in the last days, folks. You need to get motivated is that Israel would return to the land. Has that happened? Oh, yeah, it has. But listen, this was made over 2,500 years ago in the book of Isaiah. Open your Bibles to Isaiah 43, Isaiah 43, We're going to read verses 1 through 6 there. Isaiah, of course, was written by? Isaiah. You guys are sharp. Isaiah 43. Let's take a look at the context there. and uh, God's uh, telling us what he's going to do to give us a sign that you're in the last days. What he is going to do to his people. He's not done with the Jewish people. Read the Bible. Okay, They're under, Paul says in the book of Romans, a temporary blindness until the time of the Gentiles, you and I... Have the privilege of coming in, okay. But when that's over, bang, his eyes are going back on the Jewish people because he's still got some promises to fulfill, okay. And God said, This is what I'm going to do for my people Israel in the last days. I saw enough time. Let's take a look at the text Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 6 says this. But now, this is what the Lord says He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, He says, I have redeemed you, I have summoned you by uh, my by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flames will not set you ablaze. Why? For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are, listen, Israel, you are precious and honored in my sight because I love you. I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. So do not be afraid for I am with you. Listen, here's what he says. I will bring your children from the what? East. I will gather you from the what? The west. I will say to the north, what? Give them up. And to the south, what is he going to say? Do not hold them back. You better bring my sons from afar and my daughters from where? From the ends of the earth. In other words, they need to be scattered. And that's exactly what happened. Now, folks if you don't understand what's going on there historically ever since the destruction of the jewish temple jesus prophesied that by the way we don't have time to get into that right now but ever since the destruction of the jewish temple in 70 a.d the jewish people had literally been that scattered all over the planet okay But listen, here's the significance. During the past century alone, millions of Jews have returned to Israel fulfilling this very prophecy. In fact, this is what's wild. Just like the Bible said, they not only came from the east and the west and the north and the south. Listen, they came in that exact order. Listen. First, if you do the history lesson, first from the East in the early 1900s, when many of the Jews living in the Middle East began to come back to Israel. Then they came from the West from the mid-1900s, when uh, Russia, or excuse me, when those who were living in the West and in Europe, okay, they began moving back to Israel. Then even recently, finally from the North, they began to come in the 1980s. And that's when Russia finally began to allow hundreds of thousands of Jews to come back to Israel. And then finally, from the south, Israel struck a deal with Ethiopia's communist government. And on the weekend of May 25th, 1991, 14,500 Ethiopian Jews were airlifted back to Israel. And if you're paying attention to the news, now more and more and more Jews are returning to the land, back to Israel, every single world, all of the world, exactly like the Bible said. First from the east, the west, the north and the south. And when you see that happen, the Bible says you better wake up because you're living in the last days. But that's still not all. That's the tip of the iceberg. The second in-time prophecy concerning the Jewish people is they wouldn't just make it back to the land. What would happen? They would become a nation again. That historically is absolutely amazing. What people have been completely scattered over the earth comes back and forms a nation again. The Jewish people did. And God said, that's a sign. You're in the last days. Let's take a look at that text. And this is from Isaiah. Again, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11 through 12. He says this, in that day, the Lord will bring back a remnant of his people for a second time, he says there, returning them from the land of Assyria, uh, Israel from Assyria, lower Egypt, upper Egypt, Ethiopia, Elam, Babylonia, Hamath, and all the distant coastlands. We just saw that. He will what? They're not just coming back. He's going to raise a flag among the nations for Israel to rally around. He will gather the scattered people of Judah from the ends of the earth. Okay, now folks, here's what's amazing, as you see with this prophecy. Ever since 721 BC, approximately 14 different peoples have possessed the land of Israel. Okay, conquered, reconquered, conquered, reconquered over and over again. Yet, as we saw, the Bible specifically said that one day the nation of Israel would be reborn. One day, God's gonna give you a sign when all of a sudden, bang, they get their independence back. And can anybody guess what happened May 14th, 1948? (laughs) The people who were no people, the people who were gone for centuries and centuries, all of a sudden, who were scattered all over the world against all odds, they didn't just come back to the land, they became a nation again. Now, if that doesn't get our attention, I don't know what will. From out of nowhere, against all odds, Israel, in fact, was reborn. And then in 1967, the Jewish people even recaptured the city of Jerusalem, exactly like the Bible said would happen, when? When you were living in the last days. But that's still an all. The third end time prophecy concerning the Jewish people is that they would be brought forth in one day. Now, you've got to understand the significance of this. One day. How many guys realize that when governments get together, or just even a government, it takes forever to do anything? <laughs> So these guys came a nation in one day. That's a major sign. And that's what God says. Let's take a look at that text as well. Isaiah, again, 66 verse 8. Who has ever seen or heard of anything as strange as this? Again, think of governments and how long it takes to get anything accomplished. Okay. Has a nation ever been what? Born in a single day? Has a country ever come forth? A whole country? Bang. Just like that in a mere moment. He says this, but by the time Jerusalem's birth pains begin, the baby will be born and the nation, Jerusalem, Israel, will come forth in one day. Now, folks, again, for those you don't know, on the morning of May 14th, 1948, at precisely 4 p.m., the members of the People's Council signed the proclamation and the declaration was made, quote, the state of Israel is established, this meeting is ended israel did not just come back to the lamb israel did not just become a nation again they were brought forth as a nation in exactly one day exactly like the bible said would happen in fact it was such an obvious fulfillment of bible prophecy that even the jewish people listen the non-religious secular jewish people realized that there were instruments of god fulfilling this special prophecy And began to weep tears like this video shows let's take a look at what happened in history to make this uh, prophecy come alive let's take a look
1: the founding of the state of israel in 1948 followed a united nations recommendation for the amicable departure of british forces from palestine Israel's first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion, proclaimed the state's independence on May 14, 1948, and opened its borders to Jewish immigration. The new state took the Star of David as its symbol.
2: For centuries, people have predicted the end of the world. Through a depression that nearly destroyed a generation, nations were at war. Rulers and dictators tried to conquer the world and wipe out an entire race. But one major prophecy was yet to be fulfilled.
0: The rebirth of Israel, in nineteen forty-eight was the supersign. What we haven't seen happen in the context of all the other prophecies coming true is we haven't seen until sixty-two years ago the rebirth of
1: the state of Israel.
2: At the end of World War II, the British advanced the League of Nations mandate for Palestine, which included responsibility for securing the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. But without American support, the plan would fail. President Franklin Roosevelt promised Saudi King saw that the United States would not endorse any policy regarding Palestine without notifying them first. But in the spring of 1945, FDR died, leaving Vice President Harry Truman with the burdens of a complex foreign policy. Truman faced intense opposition for any plan to create a Jewish state, all the while also facing equally intense support. Eventually, he would back the plan for a Jewish state and in May 1948, the president announced his support for UN Resolution 181, a partition plan to divide Palestine between Jews and Arabs.
0: The United Nations would never have voted Israel as a state had it not been for Harry Truman. who learned from his Sunday school teaching mother at, his, at her knee that if you ever get a chance to help Israel, you ought to help Israel.
2: Ezekiel 3725 reads, And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, they, and their children, and their children's children, forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince, forever.
1: That was prophesized, uh, if you've seen pictures of the War of Independence in 48, the Six Day War. Soldiers who were somewhat secular, who were not necessarily religious, were weeping because they felt they had translated the words of the prophet. Secular,
0: non-religious Jewish people. They understood it. They, they recognized the specialness of what had happened that day about Israel becoming a nation again. They, they, they felt it, as he stated. They 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 sensed it. They even wept over it. And yet, how many of us, even here today, have any clue? of the significance of that date. And Israel becoming a nation again, literally in one day. And isn't it interesting how God raised up from wee high, apparently, the Christian president, Truman, and one person had to get out of the way, and he was thrust at the right time, educated in the Bible from his mom, to be the instrument to make that come to pass. It almost reminds me of the scripture over and over again in Daniel and other places that says, hey, man, you might make your plans, but God's the one who orders your steps. He is the one who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who governs the affairs of men, even the governments. And he turns them the way he wants. And that's exactly what he did to fulfill this prophecy in Israel. Israel didn't just become a nation again. They were brought forth as a nation literally in one day, exactly like the Bible said would happen when you were in the last days you need. To get ready, but that's not all the fourth end time prophecy concerning the jewish people is to become a united nation again This is absolutely amazing. And this is what the prophet ezekiel uh, Shares with you and I ezekiel 37 21 and 22 says this and give them this message from the sovereign lord I will gather the people of israel from among the nations Okay, I will bring them home to their own land from the places. They have been scattered We've already seen that but listen, there's more to that. God adds more. I will what I will unify them into one nation uh, in the land. One king will rule them all. No longer will they be divided into two nations. Now, again, if you don't understand uh, your history, certainly your biblical history, you don't get the significance of this prophecy. For those of you who may not know, folks, uh, in about 926 BC, the Jewish people, 926 BC, the Jewish people became a divided nation. And that's what the bulk of the Old Testament is unfortunately about. Okay, as you read through there, they were divided. You had the northern ten tribes called Israel, remember? And then you had the southern two tribes uh, called Judah. But listen, when the Jewish people regained their independence in 1948, for the first time in 2,900 years, for the first time in nearly 3,000 years, the Jewish people were once again in a united nation, not two. And the Bible says when you see that happen, it's another sign. You're in the last days and you better wake up. The fifth end time prophecy concerning the Jewish people is their currency would be the shekel. Okay. And once again, Ezekiel tells us about that currency when he's talking about the future temple. We'll get to that Lord willing next week and how close that is. Here's what he says. Ezekiel 45, 12, 13, and 16. The standard unit for the weight will be the silver shekel. Not the dollar, not the yen. It's the silver shekel. This is the tax you must give to the prince. All the people of Israel must join the prince in bringing their offerings, is what he says there. Now, folks, again, to understand the significance of this, the Bible in that passage clearly predicts that in the future temple sacrifices, the people of Israel would not just be paying their taxes. He called out literally, specifically, the denomination he's going to do with him. And it says that they are going to pay them in shekels okay now again if you know your history there's a problem there israel when they came back to the land their currency was not the shekel it was still the british pound until that's right 1980 1980 folks they just happened to switch it back to the shekel and they're using it even to this very day exactly like the bible said would happen when you're living in the last days this one's cool the sixth in time prophecy concerning just the jewish people is that one day man they're going to come back to the land and what's going to happen They're going to blossom as a rose in the desert. Let's take a look at that text once again. The prophet Isaiah tells us this, 35, chapter 35, 1 through 2. Even the wilderness will rejoice in those days. Listen, pay attention to this. The desert will what? Blossom with flowers. Now hello, we're here in in the desert. How many guys just it's so easy growing flowers here? Yes, and the laughter confirmed that truth. Yeah, (laughs) but one day in Israel, the desert is gonna blossom with flowers. That's a big sign, pay attention. He says this, yes, there's gonna be an abundance of flowers. Okay, there's gonna be singing and joy, woo! The deserts, not just flowers, they're gonna become out as green as the mountains of Lebanon, the desert. As lovely as Mount Carmel's pastures on the plain of Sharon. The Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. Now, folks, again, what you got to understand the significance of this prophecy, again, you have to understand history, and this one specifically, the history of the characteristics of the land of Israel, not just the Jewish people, the land, okay? From the very beginning, the Bible was clear. That land, where Israel is, there was something special about that land, okay? This is the land that God promised to them, okay, that they were coming out of. Remember the other land? They were coming out of Egypt. They were coming out of bondage, and he was leading them to this new land that he called the promised land. And this so-called promised land, and it was the promised land, was a good land. It was called a good land 16 times in the Old Testament. It was called the land flowing with milk and honey 23 times in the Old Testament. There's something special about that land. God wasn't saying, I'm giving you a new territory. He says, I'm giving you a really jamming uh, piece of real estate. Okay, I'm going to break it down for you, okay? Now, listen, even up to the time of Josephus, okay, he's a first century Jewish historian, a contemporary of the time of Jesus' first coming, even back then, the land was absolutely out of this world. Listen to what he says. He says, for the whole area is excellent for crops and pasturage, uh, in trees of every kind, so that by its fertility, listen, it invites even those least inclined to work on the land. In other words, if you got like a brown toe and, or a green thumb, whatever those things are called, uh, like me, you want to go there because you can grow anything. That's what he's saying. That's how incredible that land is. And he says, in fact, every inch of it has been cultivated by the inhabitants and not a parcel goes to waste. It is thickly covered with towns thanks to the natural abundance in the soil. Pay attention to that. Okay. Many villages are so densely populated. Now, here's the whole point I said to that that all changed, folks, the last 2000 years. That all changed. The land of Israel was radically altered for the worst the last 2,000 years of foreign conquerors totally abusing the land. They left Israel in a state of complete wasteness. It was a complete, total barren land, a wasteland. In fact, listen to some of the people who visited the land of Israel prior to the Jewish people coming back there in 1948. Let's take a look at their quotes. In 1845, this guy, Alphon Lammertin, said in his book, Recollections from the East, He talked about the land, he said outside the walls of Jerusalem, we saw no living being, we heard no living voice, we encountered that uh, desolation and that deadly silence which we would have expected to find at the ruined gates of Pompeii. Utterly destroyed and decimated. He said a total eternal dread spell envelopes the city, the highways, and the villages. Probably not going to make it on the tourist list, okay, from AAA. In other words, what is he saying there? He's not all, Mark Twain, when he went over there in the 1860s, he reported that Israel was a barren wasteland with no trees, he went on to state this, the further we went, the hotter the sun got, and the more rocky and bare, repulsive and dreary the landscape became. In describing the territory around the Sea of Galilee, he called it a blistery, naked, treeless land, and he spoke of the villages as being ugly and cramped and squalid and uncomfortable and filthy. He said they're a solitude to make one dreary and unpeopled deserts and rusty mountains of barrenness. How many guys would say he had a bad time there? He still goes on. Listen. And then he looked towards the Judean hills, and he says, Close to us was a stream, and on its banks was a great herd of curious-looking Syrian sheep, and the sheep were gratefully eating gravel. You know Mark Twain. He's an author. had some humor. He says, I don't state this as a petrified fact. Okay, I only suppose they were eating gravel because there didn't appear anything else for them to eat. Okay, that's how bad of a place it was, just as recent as Mark Twain. And then in 1905, the prime minister of the Netherlands, Abraham Kuyper, he observed, listen, I love this. He said, the Jews have come in vain. Only God can check in the blight of this in rushing desert. And guess what? That's exactly what God did. Listen, you gotta understand the wildness of this coming to pass. No foreign conqueror for almost 2,000 years, even though they occupied the land, they tried to revitalize the land, the land would not respond no matter how, how they tried. It stayed in that condition once the Jewish people left. But you, here's the incredible thing. Once the Jewish people began to return to their land, everything has totally changed. They immediately began to get the land back into shape, and for them and them alone, the land began to bloom. It began to respond. One author in the 1800s counted the trees there, okay, and, and, and reported that there were less than 1,000. Listen to this. Right now, today, due to a massive tree replanting campaign program in Israel, there's over 1.2 billion trees in Israel, as opposed to a thousand. Half their trees are forest trees. Half of them are fruit trees, and this has actually helped to increase the rainfall over there. But Israel now, the former desert, is now listen. Remember Mark Twain, remember those comments, ugly, squalid, horrible, only God can fix this place. It's now the breadbasket of the Middle East. It's exporting fruit all over the world, and their fruit is literally out of this world. It's huge, it's sweet, it's delicious, and that just so happens because of this. When the Jewish people got there, they didn't just replant trees, they began to build this massive network of irrigation systems. Very high-tech irrigation systems. And if you understand their technology, it's much more advanced than the rest of the world. Go figure, okay? And it just so happens there that the water in the soil they begin to irrigate, listen, is custom-tailored, go figure, for huge, massive, sweet, abundant fruit. It just needed the Jewish people to come back there and pop it out of the ground. Let's take a look at this video. This guy shows how awesome it is in the desert. Let's take a look as a prevailing thought that says that it's hard to establish
1: agriculture in the desert. But that's not necessarily so, as our Israeli correspondent discovers in a visit to southern Israel. When mentioning the desert, one thinks of dryness, heat and desolation. But it turns out that the desert can bloom, be full of life and yield harvests of fine fruits and vegetables. So, Actually, if if you think about desert as desert, you probably think there is no water, but we find a huge aquifer under the desert which allowed us to u- to use it and actually we can uh, pump it out and, and make the desert bloom or green uh, with a lot of agriculture. It turns out the desert climate is good for agriculture thanks to the groundwater under the sand dunes. Although the groundwater is somewhat salty, it turns out that this saltiness actually improves the fruit. The brackish water we're digging from the aquifer are more as, as much as more salt we can produce uh, uh, sweeter and better uh, uh, vegetables. Arbel explains the phenomenon in which a plant in stress gives a sweeter fruit. What's happened when you irrigate the fruits or the vegetables with uh, brackish water, the plant is in uh, very stress, is is suffering, and is producing less um, leaves and more fruits with uh, less water inside and a lot of meat, what we call, and actually that's make it Three times sweeter than uh, usual fr- uh, vegetables.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I'm sure, Tom, that's just purely a dink. That it just so happens the water underneath the desert there is uh, custom-tailored to produce this amazing fruit, uh, three times as sweet as other areas. And, and, and what was the phrase that even that guy, whether he knows the Old Testament or not, what would he say that de- it it's, uh, enables them to make it bloom? Vegetables, fruit. It's almost like when God said that land for his people, the Jewish people, was a good land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It just needed the right people to get back there after 2,000 years and make it bloom again. And that's exactly what's happening. But that's doing it all. Then Israel diverted water from the Sea of Galilee. This is wild. And they chan- channeled it through sections of the desert, listen, which have literally allowed the deserts to literally blossom with an abundance of flowers. Remember what the text said? That's exactly what would happen. An abundance of flowers. Listen, even to the point where Israel, the former desert, the absolute wasteland, you don't want to visit there, according to Mark Twain, Israel, the former desert, is now a major exporter of flowers and ornamental plants around the world. Exactly like the Bible said would happen when you're living in the last days. But that's still all The seventh end time prophecy concerning the Jewish people is they'd have a powerful military. And that's exactly what Zechariah says, uh, chapter 12, verse 6. Here's what he says. Uh, On that day, I will make the leaders of uh, Judah like a fire pot in a woodpile, like a flaming torch among sheaves. In other words, it's not a good thing. You're going to go up and smoke. Okay, let me translate that for you. He says, man, they're going to consume, Israel will, uh, right and left all the surrounding peoples, but Jerusalem will remain intact in her place. Can I translate that again for you? Uh, don't mess with Israel. Okay, is really what's going on there. And boy, I hope we learn that even as our own nation. God is not done with them, folks. And what's amazing about this prophecy, outnumbered and against all odds, Israeli forces have absolutely astounded the world by their victories again and again and again and again over multiple wars. Okay, now listen, I'll just give you one example. Uh, Just within hours of their declaration of independence in 1948, Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, Lebanon, all invaded Israel. Now listen, the combined population of those countries was about 20 million people. Israel at that time had maybe one million. The odds were 20 to one. It's literally what happened. But when all was said and done, the Jewish people not only won the war and whipped those folks, okay, but they expanded the size of Israel by 50%. And today, as we all know, we can see it in the news today. Israel has one of the most powerful military forces on the planet. In fact, so amazing is their military that they even train other militaries around the world with their tactics. And Israel, you've got to understand Israel, tiny little Israel. And they have full nuclear capabilities. Hands down, they are the most powerful military force in that whole region, exactly like the Bible said would happen when you're living in the last days. The eighth one, at least that we're going to deal with today, concerning Israel and the Jewish people, the Bible prophecy says that they would become a center of conflict for the whole world. Now this, again, is just mind-blowing when you understand the piece of that real estate. It wasn't that the Bible predicted that Russia would become a center of world conflict for the whole world. No, no, it was China. We expect China to become a serious conflict for the whole world. Israel would. Now, it used to be that you could fit 17 Israels in the state of California. That's how small it is. I think you could probably cram more in because, unfortunately, they've been tricked into giving up some of the land. But that's all it that is. It's a tiny little piece of real, real estate. Excuse me? That little bitty place would become a conflict of the whole world? Surely that would never happen. Well, first of all, stop calling me Shirley Al. But yes, it would. Let's take a look at that text uh, as we're going to see. Uh, this is another Bible prophecy here. Uh, Zechariah chapter 12, verses 2 through 3 says this I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. Okay? Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. But listen, are people trying to range their guns at Israel right now? Don't mess with Israel. On that day, when all the nations of the earth are gathered against here, listen, God's going to raise up. I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. All who try to move it will injure themselves. Don't do it. In other words, you're going to lose the battle. Okay? Now, folks, when Israel, in 1948, they became a nation again. Okay, the very next day, again, the nations around them declared war against Israel. How's that for a welcoming party, okay? And the fighting, as we all know in our news, has never, ever stopped from that day, literally. Now, there's some reasons for that. There's a religious issue that's going on there. But it just so happens that Israel's location is in the heart of the world's oil reserves, which makes it a strategic location, right? Right? that people are fighting for control, then it just so happens that the world's three largest religions on the planet have their headquarters, guess where? In Jerusalem right there, and this is why you and I can turn on our news every single day, read in our newspapers that Israel, the little bitty, tiny piece of real estate has become an international global problem, a center of world conflict. Exactly exactly like the Bible said would happen when you're in the last days. But before we continue, you have to understand the absolute amazing prophetic significance of just eight prophecies coming to pass in one entity, Israel. This is absolutely unheard of. If this doesn't get your attention, something's wrong. Let me share with you, okay, we've already seen they would return to the land, become a nation again, be brought forth in one day, they'd become a united nation, they'd have the currency of the shekel, they would blossom as a rose in the desert, they'd have a powerful military, and we just saw they become a center of world conflict, right? That's just eight. Now listen to the odds of just eight prophecies coming to pass in just one entity. It's actually been calculated for those of you hooked on math. Here it is. By using the modern science of probability, we find that the chance of any one entity might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled just eight of those prophecies has been calculated mathematically one in 10 to the 17th power. Now that doesn't sound like much, unless you're hooked on math, okay? But in order to help us comprehend this staggering probability, let's illustrate 10 to the 17th power. And that is like this. 10 to the 17th power would be the same thing as taking 10 to the 17th silver dollars and laying them and it would cover the whole state of Texas Two feet deep, that's how big that number is. But we're not done. Now, to further illustrate 10 to the 17th power, just eight prophecies being fulfilled in one entity, you got the state of Texas covered in two feet deep with silver dollars. Now you go grab one silver dollar, you mark a red X on that thing, you hop in a plane, you just randomly, somewhere over the state of Texas, throw that one red X silver dollar out of the plane and it drops somewhere in the state of Texas, land your plane, get one guy, a random volunteer, blindfold the guy, tell him that he can go anywhere in the whole state of Texas, two feet deep, trudging through these silver dollars, and he's got one pick, and he has to pick that one red X that you chucked out the window. Now, what are the odds that that guy is ever gonna get that one red X that you chucked out the window? It's the exact same odds that the prophets would have in writing just eight prophecies and having them come true in any one entity. And there's more now let's flip it around let's be fair because people don't want to they don't want to listen to the Bible today they want to listen to the so-called psychics out there Noah's Herodamas I mean Nostradamus and all those other guys out there well, oh, surely they've got a word better than the Bible right let's take a look at their track record listen to this amid hundreds of prophecies biblical prophets are not known to have made a single error. obviously it's from God he doesn't lie now, there were two studies I'm going to bring up. One study was of the prophecies made by psychics, took a sampling of 72 of their predictions. Okay, only six were fulfilled in any way, and two of those were so vague, it was just ridiculous, and two others were hardly surprising, like, U.S. and Russia would remain leading powers. Duh. Okay? Now, another study of the top 25 psychics, and 72 of their predictions uh, pr- uh, showed that they were 92% wrong. Okay, listen, and the remaining 8% could easily be explained away by chance or general knowledge of circumstances. In fact, in 1993 alone, all the psychics missed every single, they missed it, every single unexpected news story, like that year, Michael Jordan's early retirement and the major flooding that was going on in the Midwest. Now listen, among some of their false prophecies, they don't ever talk about that, just that year alone, were that Kathleen Lee Gifford would replace Jay Leno as the host of The Tonight Show. And that's right, they predicted that the queen of England will become a nun. <laughs> Guess we better email her and let her know that she has a new occupation coming soon according to these psychics that everybody wants to listen to but not God. <laughs> Woe unto the people that call light, darkness, darkness, light, good, evil, evil, good. We'll get to that later. That's our country that's happening today. And yet people want to listen to these guys except uh, from God. What more does God have to do There's no way those eight prophecies came to pass, but that's not all. The eighth prophecy there of Israel becoming a center of world conflict leads to the fulfillment of another prophecy that's just happening in the New Testament. The apostle Paul talks about this one. Let's read this, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter five, verses one through three. Here's what he says. He says, now brothers, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord is gonna come like a thief in the night. And here's what's going to happen. While people are saying what? Peace and safety. Pay attention to that. Boom. Destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now here's what's wild about this, folks. The apostle Paul, as you just saw, he tells us one of the signs to know that we are getting close to the Lord's return. We don't know the day nor the hour, but we know we're getting close to his return. Is when all of a sudden, all the people on the planet start crying out a specific phrase. He called it out, He was very specific. And notice what it was, it was peace and safety, right? It wasn't peace and happiness, it wasn't joy and prosperity. It wasn't stop eating chicken, as cool as that is. It wasn't anything like that, it was peace and safety. Now here's the point, nothing is by chance in the Bible. We are getting so close it's not even funny. The Greek word that's there for safety, peace and safety, is the Greek word asphalia, and it literally means security. Safety's okay, but it literally means security, okay, as in security from enemies or security from danger, okay? Now listen, so you could literally, and be true to the text, you could literally say that phrase rather needs to say peace and security, not so much peace and safety, you got it? Now listen, you combine that passage from Paul with the eighth passage prophecy being fulfilled with Israel becoming a center of conflict. Okay. And Paul says, when you hear that phrase, peace and security coming from people all over the world, you better wake up because it is getting close. And can anybody guess just what it happens to be the phrase that when it's coming to the Israel of Israel being a conflict that all the world leaders literally around the world, can you understand? Can you guess what phrase they just happen to be crying out for in the news? all around us. Peace and security. Peace and security. The exact phrase Paul said when you hear that, you better wake up. It's getting close. Listen to the actual quotes themselves. Peace and security. Israel and Palestine living side by side in peace
1: and security. Uh, peace and freedom is a right for us in as much as peace and security is a right for you
2: restore international peace and security in between the palestinians and the israelis by this phrase to these rocket attacks to ensure that we are building a lasting peace that will allow israeli and palestinian children to live side by side in peace and security to provide hope on this journey, I am reiterating the President's commitment to his vision of two democratic states, Israel and Palestine, living side by side in peace and security. The lesson of history is that peace and security do not come easily.
1: Peace and stability uh, that uh, people on all sides long for. Two states for two peoples, living side by side in peace and security is not a vague slogan, but a real necessary necessity. For the stability in the entire region, Israel and Palestinians, they can live side by side in peace and security. This is our uh, vision and this is our uh, commitment. Spoke a new deal, peace and security peace. and friendship. She's in My hopes and dreams for Israel are to live in peace, to live in peace and security.
2: Two states living side by side in peace and security. True security for all Israelis. We will also pursue peace between Israel and Lebanon. peace and security. Israel and Syria. Peace and security. And a broader peace between Israel and its many neighbors. Must decide whether we are serious about peace and security. To recognize Israel's legitimacy and its right to exist in peace and security. That's how we will find new pathways to peace and security. That is the work that we must do. And peace
1: and security. Peace and security and, and coexistence.
0: 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul says, we don't know the day, we don't know the hour. But how do you know that you're living in the last days and Jesus is about ready to come back? It's when all of a sudden you hear people, the world leaders all around the world, crying out a specific phrase, not joy and happiness, not deliverance and prosperity. Peace and security peace and security and it's happening right now and paul said when you see that happening all over the planet and people crying out that specific phrase what did he say he said bang sudden destruction is going to come upon them and they will not escape what more does god have to do to get our attention we do not know the day we don't know the hour but what more does he have to do to wake us up it is getting close And this is why he's given us the warning sign of the Jewish people to wake us up so we would know the tribulation is near and the second coming of Jesus Christ is rapidly approaching. And this is exactly why Jesus said in Luke 21, 28, when these things begin to take place, you better stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Hey, folks, like it, lump it, leave it or not, we are headed for the final countdown. And the point is this, as we close, if you're here today as a Christian and you're not doing anything for Jesus Christ, shame on you. After all that he's done for us, and he gave his very life that we could join with him in eternity forever, we can't give him just this tiny little slice of time on earth. We have got to get busy, folks. There's a job to do. There's souls to be saved. There's great things going on. We have got to get busy. Don't get tricked into sitting on the sign lines. Get back on the front lines. We need you. And all of us working together, we can do great things for Jesus Christ with what time is left, amen? amen. But if you're here today, you're not a Christian, I beg you, please, heed the signs. Heed the warnings. Give your life to Jesus today. Because one day, tomorrow will be too late. We have been warned. We'll close in prayer after this. Let's take a look.
2: very real prospect of a new world order we've got to give them a stake in creating the kind of uh world order that i think all of us would like to see but the burden of global citizenship that
1: they to find them and if you're opposing to spend more than three and a half million
0: dollars the national debt is now over 11 million
2: dollars <laughs> Class Building 7. take now to be Justice Department of, of General Berkowitz. I was for on an unstable path. Army
0: And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the the another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from Him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain... And used it as a cuss word or even flippantly. The Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder the only difference is you pulled the trigger if you will in your heart you wish they were dead and in god's eyes it's the same thing in principle folks that's only just a couple of the ten commandments we didn't even go through all of them but i think you're starting to get the picture the bible is correct we have all fallen short of the glory of god myself included and that we are separated from god as a result and so when our time comes we're not automatically going to heaven We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now, let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, They they cannot reverse it. The the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars, just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row.